Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome to a very special episode of The Savior Said. This is the Come Follow Me assignment for December 16th through 22nd, and it is Christmas! This is the Christmas episode! The title of the assignment in Come Follow Me is Good Tidings of Great Joy. So we are going to be doing all kinds of really fun and just Christmassy stuff, and I'm really excited to share all these glad tidings of great joy with you. But first, before we get started... I want to thank you guys so much because we are almost at 50,000 downloads worldwide. And now remember, when we get to 50,000 downloads worldwide, I will be giving away an awesome original piece of art by Art by Geek Girl. She is amazing. This artist, she takes hymns and then she paints different scenes and stuff over the hymns and it's really pretty. And she's got one that she's done for Come Follow Me, the hymn Come Follow Me. And so we're going to give that away to a listener once we get to 50,000 downloads. So keep downloading the episodes, keep sharing them with your friends and family, and also go check out artbygeekgirl.com. If you have a favorite hymn and like a favorite design stuff like that. You can give it to somebody for Christmas and it makes a really nice personalized gift. An example of this is I actually have in my kitchen hanging up right now the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and it has Hogwarts painted on top of it. So um, it's perfect for me. I love it so much. So Art by Geek Girl, go check her out. She's got an Etsy shop and she's amazing. All right. Also, I want to thank you guys so much for a wonderful year of podcasting. Um, I started back in December of 2018, so we have almost made it through an entire year together, and it has been such a wild ride. I didn't know if I would make it all the way through the year. I thought maybe I'd just do four or five episodes and then kind of give up on it, and I almost did. Like episode six, I was like almost to the breaking point where I was like, this is too much. I can't do it, and I almost gave up on it. But I'm so glad I didn't because the things that I learned this year and the depth that this podcast has made me delve into my scriptures has been really, really good for me. Um, I don't think that I would have delved as deeply into my scriptures as I would have with without this podcast. And I was thinking about actually because I'm like, you know, oh, it does. It takes up so much time and everything like that. I'm like, am I going to do this in 2020? Am I going to continue it? And, you know, the spirit kind of like, I guess what my heavenly father was saying to me in my head was, but think about where you would be if you hadn't done this in 2019 and you had just as much crazy stuff going on. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, I need to do it for me, but also for anyone who's listening, who gets like anything out of it. So thank you so much for putting up with me. The times that I'm boring, the times that I cry, the times where I make no sense or I go off topic. I'm just really appreciative of all the times that you guys just stick by me and stick through those, you know, human foibles of mine. So, okay, let's go ahead and jump on into the Christmas episode because you guys know I love some mixtape episodes. So this is going to be the Christmas mixtape episode. I've got all kinds of really awesome 
some songs for you. Some of them are going to be traditional Christmas songs as you know them. Some of them are going to be contemporary compositions. And some of them are going to be hymns that we may not normally associate with Christmas, but the questions they were asking, Come Follow Me, made me think of that hymn. Then also, I've got some really of my favorite scriptures about Christ that we're going to mix in, and then some words from some general authorities we're going to mix in, and then also two of my favorite children's books that have to do with Christmas. Um, I'm going to read them to you too. So we got all kinds of awesome stuff coming up in this episode. But first, from Come Follow Me, it says, for some, Christmas can be a hectic time. Yes, yes, it can. I'm raising my hand. Consider how your study of the New Testament can help bring a spirit of peace and sacredness into your life. Ponder the influence of the Savior's birth and mission on your life and record any spiritual impressions that come. And so as I was getting ready for this mixtape, part of me wanted to make it just like a fun holiday kind of, you know, mixtape type thing. But it was that introduction and come follow me that kind of made me pause and say, you know, yeah, the holidays are fun. And yeah, the holidays are about family and everything, but they are also about Christ. Um, If you look at the word Noel, the word Noel actually comes from a French Latin kind of term from a long time ago, where Noel actually meant a birthday song. It was a birthday song. And so when we say, you know, the first Noel, the first happy birthday song that was sung is kind of what that means. So Noel means we celebrate the birth of Christ. And when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are celebrating our Lord and Savior who had, you know, crazy infinite power comes down to earth in the form of a little baby, one of the weakest things in this world, completely at the mercy of people who care for him, but also who he would later save with his atonement. So we celebrate that coming to earth. We celebrate the promise that his atonement gives to us, the promise of the resurrection, that we can go back and see our heavenly father again, that we can see family and friends that are no longer with us, that our bodies will one day be perfected and resurrected because of his atonement and great atoning sacrifice. And his grace is with us. And I'm just so grateful for all of that. So I really felt like I needed to focus the episode on him and the light that he brings to our lives instead of fun holiday stuff. So this will be very Christ-centered and um, I hope you enjoy it. Okay. First question from Come Follow Me. What do you know about who Jesus Christ was before he was born? Well, and it gives you some examples of scriptures and stuff that you can go and read, like where Christ was before he came to earth and everything. But I wanted to do something a little bit different. I think I actually want to go in and look at some of the prophecies that were given about Jesus Christ before he came to earth. What did the people here on earth know about Jesus Christ before he was born? And one of my most favorite scriptures about Christ, one of my favorite prophecies about Christ, comes from Isaiah. And it's actually written to music in Handel's Messiah. It's one of the movements there in Handel's Messiah. But it's Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I love that scripture so much because it describes so many aspects of our Savior's personality and of his mission here to earth. And I love it because sometimes we tend to like blur wonderful and counselor together, like wonderful counselor, but there's actually a comma between the two. So his name shall be called wonderful. He's full of wonder because we cannot even comprehend what it is that he is doing for us. I mean, I think when we get to the other side and we see the magnitude of what he has done, we will be astonished. 
counselor. He's with us. He's able to give us counsel and guide us through things because he's experienced those things because he came to earth and he's lived through it. I mean, the empathy that he has for us is real because he's been there. The mighty God, because he has the power of the resurrection over death itself. He is part of God, the Godhead, because he is part of God's will. I mean, it's just amazing the power that he has, but yet he gave that all up for us to come down to earth. The everlasting father, the father of our salvation is what he is. And then the prince of peace. He brings us peace and calm in the middle of all the whirlwind, in the middle of the crazy hecticness of the Christmas season. We can have peace and calm because of Jesus Christ when we focus on him. And so I wanted to give you a kind of song here. And again, we talked a little bit about Noel, meaning a birthday song. And so this song is Noel by Lauren Daigle. It's amazing to me because it talks about Christ coming to earth and giving all that up to come be here for us and the glory of his birth and what a glorious promise it is to us. So here it is, Noel by Lauren Daigle. Love incarnate, love divine Star and angels gave the shine Bow to babe on bended knee The Savior of humanity Unto the child is born He shall reign
I hope you guys enjoyed that. I love that song and just the powerful spirit it brings, talking about Christ coming to earth. And Come Follow Me asks, how does this knowledge affect the way you feel when you read about his birth? And to me, it just makes that experience so sacred that something so pure and so innocent and so holy would come to earth for men. He takes us in our flaws and he helps perfect us where we are. Just the amazing love that he has for us, um, just kind of awestruck is how I feel about it. Um, I want to share, though, one of my favorite children's books that kind of, I guess, exemplifies the mix of celestial being and mankind, kind of that I think Jesus Christ kind of personifies. Um, This story is called The Littlest Angel. It's by Charles Taswell. And I grew up having my mom read this to me, you know, multiple times each Christmas holiday. And I went back, you know, thinking, I'm like, I want to read it for the podcast. And I went back in and read it a couple of days ago, you know, just to get ready for it. And I'm starting to read through and I'm like, holy cow, no wonder, like, my vocabulary was crazy as a child, because the vocabulary in this story is insane for like a five or six-year-old whose parent is reading it to them to understand. But it's a really wonderful story. So I hope you will listen and enjoy the spirit that it brings. So The Littlest Angel by Charles Taswell. Once upon a time, oh, many, many years ago, as time is calculated by men, but only which was yesterday in the celestial calendar of heaven, there was in paradise a most miserable, thoroughly unhappy, and utterly dejected cherub who was known throughout heaven as the littlest angel. He was exactly four years, six months, five days, seven hours, and 42 minutes of age when he presented himself to the venerable gatekeeper and waited for admittance to the glorious kingdom of God. Standing defiantly, he tried to pretend that he wasn't all impressed by such unearthly splendor and that he wasn't at all afraid. But his lower lip trembled, and a tear disgraced him by making a new furrow down his already tear-streaked face, coming to a precipitous halt at the very tip of his small freckled nose. But that wasn't all. While the kindly gatekeeper was entering the name in his great book, the littlest angel, having left home as usual without a handkerchief, endeavored to hide the telltale evidence by snuffling. A most unangelic sound, which so unnerved the gatekeeper that he did something he had never done in all of eternity. He blotted the page. Yes, the page in the great book. From that moment on, the heavenly peace was never quite the same. This little four-year-old angel soon became the despair of all the heavenly hosts. His shrill, ear-splitting whistle resounded at all hours through the golden streets. It startled the patriarch prophets and disturbed their meditations. Yes, and on top of that, an inevitably and vociferously sang off key at the singing practice of the heavenly choir, spoiling its ethereal effect. And being so small that it always seemed to take him twice as long as anyone else to get to nightly prayers, the littlest angel always arrived late. He knocked everyone's wings askew as he darted into his place. Although his behavior might have been overlooked, his appearance was even worse. It was first whispered among the seraphim and cherubim, and then said aloud among the angels and archangels that he didn't even look like an angel, a proper angel. And they were quite correct. He didn't look like an angel at all. His halo was permanently tarnished, and he held onto it with one hot little hand when he ran, 
and he was always running. Even when he stood very still, it never behaved as a halo should. It was always slipping down over his right eye or over his left eye or else for just pure meanness slipping off the back of his head and rolling away down some golden street so he'd have to chase after it. Yes, and his wings, well, they were neither useful nor ornamental. All paradise held its breath when the littlest angel perched himself like a sparrow on the very edge of a cloud and prepared to take off. He would teeter this way and that way, and then after much coaxing and a few false starts, he would shut both of his eyes, hold his freckled nose, count to 303, and then hurl himself slowly into space. However, owing to the fact that he forgot to move his wings, the littlest angel always fell head over halo. It was also reported that whenever he was nervous, which was most of the time, he bit his wingtips. Now, anyone can easily understand why the littlest angel would sooner or later have to be disciplined. And so, on an eternal day of an eternal month in the year eternal, he was directed to present his small self before the angel of the peace. The littlest angel combed his hair, dusted his wings, and donned an almost clean robe, and then with a heavy heart, he trudged his way to the place of judgment. He tried to postpone the ordeal by pausing a few moments to read the long list of new arrivals, although heaven knew he couldn't read a word. But at last, he slowly approached a doorway on which was mounted a pair of golden scales, signifying that heavenly justice was dispensed within. To the littlest angel's great surprise, he heard a merry voice inside, and it was singing! The littlest angel removed his halo, breathed upon it heavily and polished it on his robe, which added nothing to his already untidy appearance, and then tiptoed in. The singer, who was known as the understanding angel, looked down at the small culprit, and the littlest angel instantly tried to make himself invisible by the very ingenious process of pulling his head into the collar of his robe, very much like a snapping turtle. At that, the singer laughed a jolly, heartwarming sound and said, Oh, so you're the one who's been making heaven so unheavenly. Come here, little cherub. Tell me all about it. The littlest angel ventured a look. First one eye, then the other eye. Suddenly, almost before he knew it, he was perched on the lap of the understanding angel and was explaining how very difficult it was for a boy who suddenly finds himself transformed into an angel. Yes, and no matter what the archangel said, he'd only swung once, well, twice. Oh, all right, then he'd swung three times, but it was only three on the golden gates, and that was just because he needed something to do. That was the whole trouble. There wasn't anything for a small angel to do, and he was very homesick. Oh, not that paradise wasn't beautiful, but earth was beautiful too. Wasn't it created by God himself? Why, there were trees to climb and brooks to fish and caves to play pirate chief in. The swimming hole, the sun, the rain, the dark, the dawn, the thick brown dust so soft and warm underneath your feet. The understanding angel smiled, and in his eyes shone a memory of another small boy from long ago. Then he asked the littlest angel what would make him most happy in paradise. The cherub thought for a moment, and then he whispered in his ear, There is a box. I left it under my bed back home. If only I could have that. The understanding angel nodded his head. Then you shall have it, he promised, and a fleet-winged heavenly messenger was instantly dispatched to bring the box back to paradise. 
And then, in all those timeless days that followed, everyone wondered at the great change in the littlest angel. For among all the cherubs in God's kingdom, he was the most happy. His conduct and appearance were all that an angel could possibly wish for, and it could be said, truly said, that he flew like an angel. What a change! Then it came to pass that Jesus, the Son of God, was to be born of Mary of Bethlehem of Judea. And as the glorious tidings spread throughout paradise, all the angels rejoiced, and their voices were lifted to herald the miracle of miracles, the coming of the Christ child. And angels and archangels, the seraphim and cherubim, the gatekeeper, the wingmaker, yes, even the halosmith, put aside their usual tasks to prepare their gifts for the blessed infant. All but the littlest angel. He sat himself down in the topmost step of the golden stairs and anxiously waited for inspiration. What could he give that would be most acceptable to the Son of God? At one time, he dreamed of composing a hymn of adoration, but the littlest angel was lacking in musical talent. Then he grew excited over writing a prayer, a prayer that would live forever in the hearts of men because it would be the first prayer ever to be heard by the Christ child, but the littlest angel was too small to read or write. What a what could a small angel give that would please the holy infant? The time of the miracle is very close at hand when the littlest angel at last decided on his gift. Then on the day of days, he proudly brought it from its hiding place behind a cloud and most humbly placed it before the throne of God. It was a small, rough, unsightly box, but inside there were all those wonderful things that even a child of God would treasure. A small, rough, unsightly box lying among all those other glorious gifts from the angels of paradise. Gifts of such radiant splendor and beauty and heaven and all the universe were lighted by their glory. Then when the littlest angel saw this, he suddenly wished he might reclaim his shabby gift. It was ugly. It was worthless. Oh, it was dirty. If only he could hide it away from the sight of God before it was ever even noticed. Oh, but it was too late. The hand of God moved slowly over all the bright array of shining gifts, then paused, and then dropped, and then came to rest on the lowly gift of the littlest angel. The littlest angel trembled as the box was opened, and there before the eyes of God and all his heavenly host was what he offered to the Christ child. And what was his gift to the blessed infant? Well, inside his box... There was a butterfly with golden wings he'd captured one bright summer day on the hills above Jerusalem. There was a sky-blue egg from a bird's nest from an olive tree that stood to shade his mother's kitchen door. And yes, two white stones found on the muddy riverbank where he and his friends had played like small brown beavers. And at the bottom of the box, a limp, tooth-marked leather strap once worn as a collar by his dog, who had died as he had lived in absolute love and infinite devotion. The littlest angel wept. Why had he ever thought the box so wonderful? Why had he ever dreamed that such utterly useless things would be loved by the blessed infant? He turned to run and hide, but he stumbled and he fell, and with a cry and clatter of halo rolled into a ball at the very foot of the heavenly throne. There was an ominous silence in the celestial city, a silence complete and undisturbed save for the sobbing of the little angel. Then suddenly the voice of God, like divine music, rose and swelled through paradise. And the voice of God spoke, saying, Of all the gifts, of all the angels, 
I find this box pleased me most. Its contents are of earth and of men, and my son is born to be king of both. These are the things that my son too will know and love and cherish, and then regretfully will leave behind him when his task is done. I accept this gift for my child, Jesus, born of Mary this night in Bethlehem. There was a breathless pause, and then the rough box of the littlest angel began to grow with a bright, unearthly light. The light became a lustrous flame, and then the flame became a radiant brilliance that blinded the eyes of all the angels. None but the littlest angel saw it rise from its place before the throne of God, and he, and only he, watched as it arced toward the firmament to stand and shed its clear, white, beckoning light over a stable where a child was born. There it shone on the night of miracles, and its light was reflected down the centuries deep into the heart of all mankind. Yet earthly eyes, blinded by its splendor, could never know that the lowly gift of the littlest angel was what men would forever call the shining star of Bethlehem. The end. All right, I love that story because it shows, first of all, the idea of a four-year-old being by himself in heaven is heartbreaking, and I know it's not doctrinally true, but... It sets up, you know, kind of because I think we all feel a little bit shy of what our Heavenly Father wants us to be. We all feel like we fall short and we are all the littlest angel. I think sometimes even at church in our wards, we feel like that littlest angel where we're not good enough, we're falling short, we don't quite fit in, things are uncomfortable. And then he goes and he takes his gift to God. And it's his little gift of all the treasures that he had on earth. Everything from, you know, butterflies that he loved in nature and um, things that reminded him of playing with his friends and even the collar of his dog. And I don't know how the littlest angel died, but it sounds like his dog may have died protecting him as well. And so even that treasured collar of his dog and he took his most precious treasures and he gave it to God. And he turned it all over to the Lord and said, use this as you will. And I love that allegory for us, that we can take the most precious parts of ourselves and give it over to God and say, use this as you will. And God was able to make a star out of it that shone over Bethlehem. Again, story is not doctrinally correct. I understand that. But I just love the message that it spreads, especially at, at Christmas time, um, you know, the character of God saying, you know, my son will be king of earth and he will treasure these things and he will miss them too when it's his time to leave them behind. So um, it was just a beautiful story to me and it kind of exemplified that meeting of divine and earthly that Jesus Christ made when he was born. So to go along with that, the next song that you're going to hear is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, Angels We Have Heard on High, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing, a remix of all those together by Leanne Rhymes. And when I was looking for different songs to kind of mix into my mixtape here, there are lots of popular artists that have recorded Christmas songs. You know, there's Mariah Carey and there's Amy Grant and, you know, there's, I mean, any Pentatonix, any artist that you can think of out there, a lot of them have Christmas albums, right? And so I'm going through and like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Like there's a million different versions of that. But as I was going through and I'm listening to some of these, I'm like, this is not about Christ. This is all about whoever the singer is showing off like how good they can sing or whatever. And so I was really kind of stumped when I was trying to find a version that of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is one of my favorite songs at Christmas. I was really kind of stumped 
finding a version of that that I was okay with because they all seem so showy and like show-offy and not necessarily about the spirit that I wanted to kind of bring into this episode. But Leanne Rhymes does this kind of mix of these three different songs. And I love that she included God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, which is not one of our Christmas hymns, but I love that it talks about, you know, tidings of comfort and joy for our Savior has come to earth and he's here. So, you know, rest in that knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? And then it goes into angels we have heard on high, the angels singing, and then hark the herald angels sing. And the reason that I love hark the herald angels sing so much is because of the third verse. And this is the third verse for hark the herald angels sing. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And again, I love that image of Jesus Christ rising with healing in his wings. What a beautiful message that is to us and what a beautiful message here at Christmas time. So here we go. We've got the mix of God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, Angels We Have Heard on High, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Leanne Rhymes. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day To save us all from sin's power when we were gone astray Oh, tidings of comfort and joy Oh, tidings of comfort and
Tidings of comfort and joy indeed. I love that so much. Okay, come follow me. Going back to the come follow me assignment. It says, what do you know about why Jesus Christ came to earth? Well, he came to heal us. He came to reach us in our places where we feel unreachable. When we feel like that littlest angel, he comes to heal us and make us whole. And so some words that I wanted to pair with that are from the talk, Christ, the light that shines in the darkness by Sharon Newbank. She says, Jesus Christ is the source of our power, the light and the life of the world. Without a strong connection to him, we begin to spiritually die. Now, why would we not become connected to him? This is Lexi, not Sharon Eubank. I'm taking a pause from her real quick. Why would we become disconnected from him? Well, Sister Eubank gives us some examples and ways that Christ reaches us when we are feeling those different examples, okay? So unpause, here's Sister Eubank again. Some of us are paralyzed by grief. When tragedies overtake us, when life hurts so much that we can't breathe, when we've taken a beating like the man on the way to Jericho and have been left for dead, Jesus comes along and pours oil onto our wounds. He lifts us tenderly up. He takes us to an inn and he looks after us. To those of us in grief, he says, I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders that even you cannot feel them upon your backs. That ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. Christ heals wounds. Some of us are just so tired. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, It is not intended that we run faster than we have strength. But in spite of that, I know many of you run very, very fast, and the energy and emotional supply sometimes registers close to empty. When expectations overwhelm us, we can step back and ask Heavenly Father what to let go of. Part of our life experience is learning what not to do. But even so, sometimes life can be exhausting. Jesus assures us, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ is willing to join with us in the yoke and pull in order to lighten our burdens. Christ is rest. Some of us feel that we don't fit the traditional mold. For various reasons, we don't feel accepted or acceptable. The New Testament shows the great efforts Jesus made to reach out to all kinds of people. Tax collectors, lepers, children, Galileans, harlots, women, Pharisees, sinners, Samaritans, widows, Roman soldiers, adulterers, the ritually unclean. And almost every story he is reaching to someone who traditionally was not accepted in society. Luke 19 tells the story of a chief tax collector in Jericho named Zacchaeus. He climbed a tree in order to see Jesus walk by. Zacchaeus was employed by the Roman government and viewed as corrupt and a sinner. Jesus saw him up in his tree and called to him saying, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And when Jesus saw the goodness of Zacchaeus' heart and the things he did for others, he accepted his offering saying, This day salvation come unto this house, for he is also a son of Abraham. Christ tenderly told the Nephites, I have commanded that none of you should go away. Peter had the powerful epiphany in Acts 10 when he declared, God hath showed me what I should not call any person common or unclean. It is an unwavering requirement of Christian disciples and Latter-day Saints to show true love to one another. Jesus extends the same kind of invitation to us that he did to Zacchaeus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come into you and will sup with you and you with me. Christ sees us in our tree. 
Some of us are splintering with questions. Our mortal brains are made to seek understanding and meaning in tidy bundles. I don't know all the reasons why the veil over mortality is so thick. This is not the stage in our eternal development when we have all the answers. It is the stage where we develop our assurance, or sometimes our hope, in evidence of things not seen. Assurance comes in ways that aren't always easy to analyze, but there is light in our darkness. Christ is light to see. Some of us feel we can never be good enough. The scarlet dye of the Old Testament was not only colorful, but also color fast, meaning that its vivid color stuck to wool and did not fade no matter how many times it was washed. Satan wields this reasoning like a club. White wool stained scarlet can never go back to being white. But Jesus Christ declares, my ways are higher than your ways. And the miracle of his grace is that when we repent of our sins, his scarlet blood returns us to purity. It isn't logical, but it is nevertheless true. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. The Lord says emphatically, he or she who has repented of the sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. In essence, come let us reason together. You made mistakes. I'll come short. Come unto me and repent and I will remember the sin no more. You can be whole again. I have a work for you to do. Christ makes us clean. If you feel the beacon of your testimony is sputtering and darkness is closing in, take courage. Keep promises to God. Ask your questions. Patiently melt stone to glass and turn to Jesus Christ who loves you still. Jesus said, I am the light that shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. That means no matter how hard it tries, the darkness cannot put out that light, ever. You can trust that his light will be there for you, end quote. All right, I love that so much because it talks about all the different ways that Christ sees us. He sees us when we are hungry. He sees us when we are afraid. He sees us when we have sinned, when we fall short. He is there with us in the dark. Even when we can't feel him, he is there with us and he's reaching out for us. And I love that so much. So the song I chose to go along with this section is called Light of the World by Lauren Daigle. I love some Lauren Daigle. Y'all know I do. So I'd include her like a lot in this. But here's the thing, because it talks all about, you know, Christ coming to earth, obviously, and glory to the light of the world. But there is a part of it that says, for all who wait, for all who hunger, for all who have prayed, for all who wonder, behold your king, behold Messiah, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Just because we wonder, just because we feel like we don't have enough, because we've prayed and we haven't seen the answers, doesn't mean that he's not there. And he reaches us just as much as he reaches someone who doesn't feel that same way. So go ahead and question and wonder, because he will be there for you as well. So here it is, Lauren Daigle, Light of the World. For a miracle The heart longs For a little bit of hope Oh come Oh come Emmanuel A 
child prays for peace on earth and she's calling out from a sea of hurt oh come oh come Emmanuel and can you hear the angels me says how does this knowledge affect the way you feel about the savior um honestly it's really interesting as i read more and more about christ and what he does for us it makes me feel at the same time totally insignificant and unworthy but at the same time worthy and special and worth of his love 
Does that make sense? Like, it's kind of like this really big oxymoron. Like, I realize how much I don't deserve it, but how wonderful he is for giving me what I don't deserve, you know, and doing it of his own free will and doing it because he loves me. And I realize how much he does love me. And it's amazing to me that love that transcends my unrighteousness and my unholiness and impurity and can make me something pure and good and clean through his atonement and through his sacrifice and through his love just every day. And so I stand all amazed at the love Jesus offers me. So that's the hymn that I chose to go along with this section to kind of show how this knowledge, everything that we've learned about the Savior this year, how it has impacted me on a spiritual level and just on a day-to-day level. I just am always amazed at the love that my Savior has for me. So here is I Stand All Amazed by Troy Lizenby featuring Mary Kokali. No more. 
Come Follow Me next asked, how does it affect the way that you live? How does your knowledge about Jesus Christ and the way that you feel about him, how does it affect the way you live? And to me, it gives me a great responsibility to share that love with others. You know, now that I felt the love of Christ, I need to share it with those around me. And so I picked a story to kind of emphasize this, especially a Christmas time story to kind of emphasize this. And this story is called Great Joy, and it's by the author Kate DiCamillo. Um, if you know, because of When Dixie or the Mercy Watson series or The Tale of Despero, it's the same author who writ- wrote all those. But this is a picture book, and I'm going to read you the words, but y'all, you've got to go find the book because the illustrations are drop dead gorgeous. Like, I love the illustrations almost as much as I love the words by Kate DiCamillo. And the illustrator is Bagram Ibotaline. Ibudaline, I think is how you say his name, Ibudaline. Um, but they're just gorgeous. So you need to go check it out. So here we go. This is great joy. And I'm going to kind of describe what's going on because the illustrations take a, a big part of the book um, as well as the story. So this is taking place and looks like 1930s New York City, right? So we're in kind of like a downtown urban area. It's kind of at nighttime, dusk, lights have come on, there's lights in the windows, and there's a homeless man standing on the corner. And he's got a little monkey that's kind of dancing around him, and he's got an accordion that he's playing for people as they pass by to give money to. And so here's how the story starts. The week before Christmas, a monkey appeared on the corner of Fifth and Vine. He was wearing a green vest and a red hat, and with him was a man, an organ grinder, who played music for all the people on the street. In the daytime, when the sun shone, the sequins on the monkey's vest glittered and flashed, and from the window of her apartment high above, Francis could see the tin cup he held out to the people who walked by. Sometimes, if it was very quiet for just a minute, she could hear the music. It came across the crowded sidewalk and up through the windows, and even though the organ grinder and the monkey were just across the street, the song sounded sad and far away like the music from a dream. 
Frances turned to her mother as her mother was pinning up her angel costume for the play at church. Where do they go at night? Frances asked. Who? said her mother. The man and his monkey. Oh, Frances, said her mother, don't ask questions I can't answer. I'm sure they go somewhere. Everyone goes somewhere. But where? said Frances. I have no idea, said her mother. Turn around. I need to pin that side of the hem. Frances turned. Her mother pinned the bottom of her robe. There, said her mother. Now all I have to do is hem it and you'll be ready. Have you memorized your lines? Yes, said Frances. Are you excited about the pageant? Yes, said Frances. And she turned away from her mother and she looked out the window at the monkey. That night, Frances made herself stay awake. She hummed songs and she set her multiplication tables. She named the capitals of each state, St. Paul, Tallahassee, Harrisburg, one after another. Every time she felt like she might fall asleep, she shook her head and pinched her arm and opened up her eyes. Finally, at midnight, Frances got out of bed and crept down the hallway to the living room. She looked down into the street and she saw the organ grinder. But where was the monkey? Her heart thumped. Oh no! And then she saw him. He was tucked inside the man's overcoat, a small red hat still on his head. Look at me, Frances whispered. Look up here, look at me. It was the organ grinder who looked up and saw the light in the window. He took his cap from his head and he raised it to her in a silent salute. The next morning, Frances said, they sleep on the street, even when it snows, mother. Oh, Frances, said her mother. Maybe they could come for dinner. No, no, they can't come for dinner, said her mother. Why not? They're strangers, that's why. Eat your breakfast, Frances. You've got a big day ahead of you. All that day it snowed. By evening, it was time for the church pageant, and the sky had cleared. But the snow was so deep, Frances had to wear her boots for the walk to church. The organ grinder and the monkey were still on the corner where they had been sleeping the night before. Frances ran up and put a nickel in the monkey's cup. I'm going to be in the Christmas play tonight, she said. I get to wear wings, and I have one line to say. Do you want to hear it? Frances, said her mother, we're going to be late. Let's go. You can come, Frances said. The play is at the church. It's just down the street. You both can come. The organ grinder smiled at her, but his eyes looked sad. At the church, everyone was already in costume. They were all backstage waiting for the play to start. Hurry, the choir director said as he helped Frances put on her wings. The shepherds walked out first, and then the choir director pointed to Francis. Now, he whispered. Francis walked out onto the stage, and she stood very still. She opened her mouth, but the words would not come. Say it, whispered one of the shepherds. Say it, hissed an angel who did not have any lines of her own. The camel, which was really two people, swayed nervously back and forth. But Francis could not speak. All she could think about was how cold it was outside and how sad the organ grinder's eyes had been, even when he smiled. The world was quiet. Everyone waited. Then, at the back of the sanctuary, a door opened. Standing in the doorway was the organ grinder and the monkey. Frances smiled. Behold, she shouted, I bring you tidings of great joy. And because the words felt so right, Frances said them again great joy. 
And then the next picture shows the after party there at the church where everyone is drinking punch and they've got cookies and the monkey's being cuddled by children and the old man has warm drink in his hand and he's being talked to and cared for by the church people and they're all taking care of him because of Francis's invitation to bring him to church to see her in the church play. And that reminds me of one of the scriptures that we read this year in Come Follow Me, Matthew 25, 40. It says, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have also done it unto me. And that's exactly what Frances did in this book, is she spread the joy of Jesus Christ to those around her. And that's something I would challenge each and every one of you to do. Find ways that you can spread the joy of Jesus Christ to those around you, the light of Jesus Christ, you know, the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ to those around you. Um, I found some scriptures that kind of talk about that, about spreading your testimony of Jesus Christ. And the first one is in 2 Nephi 25, 26. It says, and we talk of Christ, we rejoice of Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. And that's what we do. Everything we do should be talking about Christ, rejoicing in Christ. Our lives should be living in rejoicing of Christ so that when others see us, They see, you know, there's something different about you. There's always light with you. There's joy with you. Even when we're going through really hard stuff, that we can have that light of Christ with us. We can have that attitude that Christ is with us and that will carry us through. You know, there's that really great quote out there that's preach the gospel, always use words if necessary. You know, live your life as if you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and let that light envelop and shine around others. Then I wanted to end with this scripture from DNC, DNC 7622. And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him, that he lives. He lives. He lives. And he loves us. And because he lives, so will we again one day. I wanted to leave you guys with my testimony as well of Jesus Christ. From Come Follow Me this year, I have gained a deeper appreciation for him, a deeper understanding of who he was in his mortal ministry here on earth and how it applies to my own life. So here's my testimony as I've gained it from Come Follow Me this year. I believe in my Savior. I believe that he was with us before this life, that he helped create the world, that he was part of the big council in heaven, and that we chose him and we chose his plan. And before the plan was even ever in motion, he was our older brother and he still guided us and directed us for good. He came to earth to fill everything that we go through. It was his choice to do it. He didn't have to. No one forced him to do it, but he did it willingly. And he came here to earth and he went through trials and struggles and temptations and weaknesses just like we do. So he knows what we have gone through. So when we turn around and we cry out to him, he can be with us in the perfect way because he knows exactly what we need. He sacrificed himself for us and he would do it all over again in a heartbeat because he loves us so much and we are so important to him and our salvation is so important to him. He was resurrected after death and he has victory over power and the grave. And because of that, we have hope that we will see those who have loved and died and gone on before us that we will see them again. He lives and because he lives, so can we. We can be perfected and glory in the opportunity to have perfect bodies after this life because of his resurrection, that free gift that he gives to all mankind. 
His grace is always with us. We just need to reach out there for it and it will enable us and strengthen us to be better than we ever could on our own. He never leaves us. He is our best friend. He's our best confidant, our best cheerleader, our best supporter, and our best exemplar. He is with us in everything that we do. We just have to turn to him. He is the perfect son of God. And through his sacrifice, he helps bring all of us back to God again someday. He will never leave us. He's always there. He is the light in the darkness. If you feel like you are in the darkness and you cannot feel that light, that's because sometimes depression messes with our heads and it does funny things to our heads, but he will never leave you. He is always with you. Even if you can't feel him there, he is there. He loves you so much. And I would leave that testimony with you of my Savior's love and of his divinity, of his divine sonship, and of the purpose of his atonement and his perfect sacrifice and his resurrection and just the plan of salvation that is centered around Christ. And I hope you'll take that with you this Christmas time. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. I want to end this episode with one of the songs that is just gorgeous to me. It's a Christmas song that is just gorgeous to me. If I were an angel there on the plains of Judea singing to the shepherds, like this is the song I would want to sing. Like it's so beautiful. So just close your eyes and imagine you're listening to the angels serenading the shepherds thousands of years ago. Um, It's Angels from the Realms of Glory. It's by Peter Hollins from the album A Hollins Family Christmas, but it also features the Piano Guys, David Archuleta, and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which is now, you know, the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. But back when they recorded this, they were the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So it is absolutely gorgeous. So I hope you will close your eyes and pretend you are on those plains in Judea far, far away. I just want to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I hope you guys all have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you for an amazing year. Um, I've been so blessed to work with you guys and to have you guys listen to this podcast. I'm so grateful for you. So have a great Christmas, y'all. I'll be here next week. Bye, y'all.
The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.